0: The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org.
1: Matthew 28 is a part two from what we looked at last week. In your Bibles or Bible apps, and there are Bibles in the back if you need one. Matthew chapter 28, if you're new to the Bible. First book of the New Testament. As a reminder, kids, we put outlines over there at the Welcome table for you, and there are four adults as well, if you want one. But kids, I know we've got uh, many Sundays with elementary school-age kids, and we're so glad you're here. And those outlines will help you follow along. Last week, we talked about our disciple-making mission, and I put an article in the back that says local mission strategy. This is something our, our leaders went through earlier this year, think about how we want to reach out. And so if you would like to read more about that, please do. Today is kind of a a topical sermon in a way, trying to cast vision, forecast direction for how we're thinking about the future and we think good things that God is doing in our midst. So let me pray briefly, and then Amy's going to read our passage. Spirit of God, we ask you to fill us even now as you command us to be continually filled with the Spirit in Ephesians chapter 5. So fill us, we pray. Meet us, we ask you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew
2: 28, 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them.
1: We have some leftover books from the Ladies' Retreat, and this is uh, by Ed Welch, a small book for the anxious heart, Meditations on Fear, Worry, and Trust. This does not relate to our sermon at all. I'm sorry about that, but I forgot to mention it. I think we have about five extra copies of this, and so I recommend it to you if you would like a copy of a small book for the anxious heart. Recently... The following happened. Miracle, miracle, miracle crackled over the radios of rescuers. They had found four children who had been lost for 40 days in the Colombian jungle. True story. The plane they were in had crashed in the jungle. Sadly, their mother had died. The eldest child, 13 years of age, used the survival skills she had learned from their indigenous community to keep herself and her three siblings alive 40 days in the Colombian jungle. She built makeshift shelters from branches tied together with her hair ties. She recovered a type of flower from the wreckage of the plain. They survived 40 days, and then they were rescued, a wonderful wonderful rescue. And don't we love rescue stories like that, as we should? We love rescues. What we don't tend to hear is, well, what happened next? What happened after the rescue? I mean, how did they grow up? How did they develop as people? What kind of people did they become after that rescue? We understandably focus on the rescue but not what happens after the rescue. And we tend to do that spiritually speaking. We tend to do the same thing spiritually speaking. The Christian has experienced the most profound rescue possible. Going from death to life, the power of Satan To God, forgiveness of sins, a place among all those sanctified through faith in Jesus. As Jesus himself said, that is the greatest miracle. That is the greatest rescue you can have. But what should happen after that rescue? How how is the rescued Christian then to grow and flourish after that rescue, we tend to focus on the rescue, profound rescue, glorious rescue. We tend not to think as much about what happens after the rescue. We'd like to adjust that for us as a church a bit. We we think the Bible adjusts that. A bit. So think about this with me under three headings. Think about what should happen after the rescue under three headings. First, our disciple forming mission. First, look again at verse 19, familiar words, but take them in again. Go therefore, the ascended. The risen and about to send, Jesus says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we go with love and good news here and among the nations. We want to see new disciples made and baptized. But the mission doesn't end there, does it? Jesus goes on teaching them. To observe all, all that I have commanded you. That seems to imply, does it not, some kind of ongoing process, observing all Jesus has commanded to me. That sounds like process. That sounds like a lifelong, ongoing process. The process, the process of being formed. As a disciple. So what's a disciple? Well, the idea has as its background coming into a pupil-teacher, student-teacher relationship. In Jesus' day, rabbis would have disciples apprenticing with them or learning from them. Jesus uses that language in Matthew 11 when he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So, Jesus is far more than a teacher, far more than a rabbi, a savior who gives rest to the souls of his people. But that helps you think about what a disciple is someone in a life giving relationship with Jesus who is learning from Jesus to become. More like Jesus. And that is all over the New Testament. Think about Galatians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. The the Galatians were giving Paul so much trouble that he, he likens it to the anguish of childbirth. He just kind of pulls on the most painful human experience possible and says, this is what it's like relating to you all, but I am in the anguish of childbirth until what? Until Christ is formed in you. Until Jesus' character and likeness is increasingly formed in what you could call spiritual formation. Similarly, Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, we read, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature, mature, in Christ. The Colossian church had their own problems. They were getting mixed up, losing sight of the supremacy of Jesus, and getting mixed up in certain ascetic practices and beliefs. So the apostle brings them back to the gospel, the good news, him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? To present everyone mature in Christ. That's the same disciple forming mission, becoming more mature over time, a step at a time, in a lifelong process. But what does that look like, you should ask? What does that mean? How, how should we define maturity in Christ? I mean, how do you define it? If you had to come up with a definition right now of maturity, In Jesus, like the apostles talking about. What what would you say? Would you think of forms of external morality? Things you do or don't do. What you say or don't say. How you dress or act or vote. And each of those have their own importance. But for Jesus, love is central to how he defines maturity Jesus summarized the two greatest commandments as love God and love neighbor that's Christ formed in you that's Christian maturity he said in John 13 a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you that's a loaded phrase just as i have loved you you also are to love one another and then he says By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, those learning from me, if you have love for one another. So here's the mark, Jesus says, of being a disciple. Love for each other, which presumes love for God out of his prior love. For us, that's being formed and maturing. You might say, Tab, you can't boil discipleship just down to love. And and you're right. Colossians 3 speaks to this, as does other passages. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones. Notice, holy and beloved. Beloved by God. Put on compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. But then he says, and above all these, put on love, which binds Everything together in perfect harmony. So Christ being formed in you, yeah, it involves many things, but love binds it all together in perfect harmony. And so this is the kind of people we are to be formed into and help each other be formed into. People who love because we've been so greatly loved ourselves. Now, if that's the mission, how do we do that? What's that to look like for Grace Church? And so we want to think about our church here under the heading of a disciple-forming goal, our disciple-forming goal. If that's the mission and mandate from King Jesus, what might that look like here? And this is what I want to really talk about today in some ways. One writer pictures Ministry leadership like a sailboat, like a sailboat. It's kind of like putting up the sails in a sailboat and looking for where the Holy Spirit is going to propel you forward, where the Spirit of God is going to fill your sails, as it were, and propel you forward into his purposes as you follow Christ. And so as elders, we've been kind of doing that, putting up the sails, And we've noticed something over the last number of months. We we noticed the, the strong, eager response to the spiritual formation class that met this past year. We noticed the significant fruits that seemed to come from that class. And we've looked at the clear teaching of Scripture in the passages we just looked at. And so we believe God is leading us to a a goal in light of Scripture. And here's how I think he could phrase it. We want to make progress, not something new, but make progress in forming disciples of Jesus as a church community together corporately that, that intentionally cooperates with the Spirit's transforming power. Now, that's not very uh, memorable, perhaps, so let me give you a picture for that. Let me give you an analogy. I want you to picture a greenhouse where plants are grown. Think about a greenhouse where you grow various kinds of plants. It's got Uh, glass panels on the sides. It's got glass panels for the roof, and sunshine is gloriously shining in all the time through those glass panels, and you've got a nice sprinkler system that comes on at various points and mists the plants with just a right amount of water, and all those plants are rooted in nutrient-rich soil. Can you see it? What's the purpose of that greenhouse? Thank you. It's to provide good conditions for those plants to grow. A local church is to be like that. A place where we are seeking to provide the conditions for disciples to grow. Now, we are also a a schoolhouse, you might say, where we teach, Matthew 28. We're a lighthouse shining into the darkness, Matthew 5. But think of this church maybe as a spiritual greenhouse where the Holy Spirit implants the life-giving seed of the gospel, the good news, over and over in our lives and hearts and where the Holy Spirit is watering those seeds over and over in our lives. It's a place of of rich soil, nutrient-rich soil, the soil of God's love, the soil of God's grace in Jesus, and a place where the the sunshine of God's Word is pouring in all the times that we bask in the warmth of God's truth, and a place where we grow In community, this is where the analogy breaks down. (laughs) A place where the plants help each other. Like Jesus said, of Jesus it was said, a bruised reed he will not break. And so we strengthen and help each other. And we care for delicate plants. And we see Christ healing, hurting plants. Think think of this goal, this forming of disciples as we're seeking to be a more effective spiritual greenhouse where followers of Jesus grow and, and flourish by grace. And that might mean a shift in ways for you and me. That might mean a bit of a shift in our lives personally from From knowing about God to knowing God himself. Let me illustrate. I I enjoy history. And one of my favorite historical figures is Abraham Lincoln. I enjoy reading about Lincoln. I I have a real big biography of Lincoln I've read at least a couple times. I have a book on leadership lessons from Lincoln. I've read that at least a couple times. I have a book on the Civil War that talks a lot about Lincoln. Read that a couple of times. My favorite is the book, Team of Rivals, how Lincoln assembled a cabinet of political rivals and led them through that crisis. I've read that multiple times. I'm not not some great historian. I'm not saying that. But I know a bit about Abraham Lincoln, though I've never met him. And I don't, therefore, relate to him personally. Now, friends, it's possible to relate to God like that. To only study truth about him. To only be learning about him. To file away interesting facts about God. But not really be relating to him and enjoying him. Personally, in an ongoing way. Now, contrast that with my relationship with my wife, Sung. There are no books written about her, to my knowledge. No biographies you'll find on Amazon about Sung Trainer, though she is an amazing person. But I don't just know about her. We've had a close relationship for 26 years. We walk together through the good times and the hard times together. In fact, we, we literally love just walking together, hand in hand, through the neighborhood or on a beach somewhere. I talk with her every day. Every day I talk with her, and I just enjoy when she is nearby. I don't just know about Sung Trainer. I relate to her personally all the time. That's what you were made to enjoy with God. From the Garden of Eden, where God walked with Adam and Eve, to one day, one day when God dwells with us perfectly forever in his immediate presence, you were made to enjoy fellowship with God. Communion with God in Christ. Think about what we saw in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, where Jesus says to the Christians, the Christians in Laodicea, he just said, hey guys, you're, you're no longer like cool, refreshing waters, and you're no longer like hot, healing waters. Instead, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and and eat with him, sup with him, have fellowship with him, and and he with me. Jesus is, is knocking, as it were, at the door of that wayward church, inviting them inviting these Christians to renew fellowship with him. He's saying, I'm your Savior, I'm your Lord, and I'm inviting you again to enjoy sweet fellowship with me. And maybe, maybe you kind of hear him knocking for your own life right now. Because he loves you. Maybe you know a lot about God. God but you're no longer relating to God personally. You know things about Him, but you're not enjoying Him personally. Listen, He's he's knocking, and He's inviting you to a rich, deep, sweet fellowship with Him in Christ. That's the shift, isn't it, that I need Maybe you. It's a shift, you might say, from mere information to more formation. You see, personal Bible study is not just for more Bible data. It's for more fellowship with him in truth. Sunday services are not just about information being imparted but communion with God and his people. Home groups, Bible studies, not just for discussing spiritual factoids, but being spiritually formed in fellowship with God and his people. That's the goal, the the kind of greenhouse we want to be, all the more. So how? What does that look like? Let's think thirdly of means. Let's think about how. Let's think about our disciple-forming means, as it were. Remember that goal I said? The last phrase read, intentionally cooperating. Intentionally cooperating with the Spirit's transforming power there's an intentionality here on our part because the spirit often works through means scripture prayer fellowship worship together like this even fasting silence solitude etc cetera, etc cetera. those are means sort of pipelines or means by which the spirit of god works and meets us, and Jesus, through his Spirit, fellowships with us and forms us. And the ancient church had what they called the rule of faith. The rule of faith, basically delineating orthodoxy from heresy, and it's probably What we have in the form of the Apostles' Creed, which we recited earlier. The Apostles' Creed was not written by apostles. It's a distillation of apostolic truth, that rule of faith of the ancient church. Well, the ancient church also had a tradition of something they called the rule of life. Rule of faith, truth, and a rule of life. Uh, Peter Schizero, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, describes it like this. He says, a rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God, to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a, notice, a desire to be with God and love Him in light of His love first for us. Did you catch that? Now, we should ask, though, why do we need an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center? Being with God, enjoying God, loving God. Why do we need some intentional, conscious plan like that? Well, because we're always being formed by all kinds of stuff. We're always being formed could be Fox News, CNN, your favorite political pundit. And they are forming you in ways, maybe making you more angry or more fearful. It could be, a, I don't know, a favorite romance novel or rom-com movie. And it's forming you with ideas of what marriage and romance need to look like. could be a favorite celebrity. And they're forming you with the values that they think are right and wrong. Could be a a social media influencer that you follow, forming you, whether you know it or not, forming you maybe in how you think you should look or, or live. I read an article just yesterday titled, Five Ways. Five ways the digital age is transforming the way you think. Five ways the digital age is transforming or forming how you think. See if you can relate to any of these. Number one, the digital age dilutes the importance of truth. We have lots of information, not really sure what's true anymore sometimes. Number two, the digital age has beautified anger. You ever see that? The rage that gets expressed so quickly, and maybe we indulge. Number three, the digital age has given authority to mobs (laughs) the cancel culture. Number four, the digital age has made us passive consumers, We just want to scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and scroll and binge and binge and binge. Number five, the digital age has left us distracted, discontented, and dislocated. Distracted, discontented, and dislocated. Can you relate to any of those? I can, especially numbers four and five. Just want to be a passive consumer, scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And then I become very distracted. I was sharing with Dan Arthur a few days ago a a habit I enjoy. I make my breakfast first thing because I love food. And as I'm eating my breakfast, I like to read various news updates and sports updates. It's very important in case the president wants my advice on something or something like that i need to be up to date first thing in the morning and then after my various updates that i've read and maybe a couple ancillary articles in light of those updates then i'll open god's word and meditate and pray and have fellowship with him now i don't see the internet or technology Or social media as inherently bad or good, myself. They can be used for good or used for ill, to be sure. But my point is, I see that habit forming my heart. That's what I'm getting at. I see that habit forming my heart my appetite for the next news article grows and grows and grows to be consuming more. And then my appetite for fellowship with God starts to shrink and shrink and shrink. Friends, our habits form our hearts. This is why we need Disciple-forming means. Now, our Sunday services is a crucial habit or means. Thanks for being here. Our home groups, our Bible studies, men's, women's meetings, personal prayer and scripture, etc. very helpful means. But, but we think God is leading to help us be even more intentional in the means he's given. We'd like to begin with the habit of Sabbath, or a rhythm, you might say, of Sabbath. You know, Jesus invites us to find rest for our souls. But aren't we so often weary and feeling spiritually fatigued? We think there's an invitation to enjoy Him more. And it's not, friends, listen, it's not about adding more to your life. It's really, in some ways, about subtracting. It's about prioritizing what is most important in life, that you would enjoy Him all the more. So this fall, our home groups are going to cover and utilize what we think is some helpful material. It's the Sabbath material put out by a group called Practicing the Way. And in fact, Steve, Dan, and Dustin are going to their conference this week. So if you think to pray for them, that they would be refreshed and come back equipped to help us be a a growing greenhouse, that would be fantastic. So we look forward to this. And I'm going to talk more about Sabbath next week. I want to say, though, from the outset, many of our disciple-forming means are going to vary from person to person, okay? They're going to vary what they look like from one life to the next. But I'd like you to hear a couple of examples. And so Steve and Sharon are going to come up as I've asked them to be willing to be interviewed, and they have kindly agreed. So welcome, Farringtons. Yeah, we can clap for these people. Now, you have said, I think, Steve, especially as we've been talking, that you just feel like your own spiritual life has been really invigorated much more recently than it had perhaps in the past. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah.
0: um, This last year or so has been a real... Good year for me, and and, and just growing. And I'd like to say I have a lot of profound things to say, but I don't. (laughs) It's really been more of a kind of a a slight change in perspective, and maybe an awareness. And I think I guess the the key word I guess I'll bring up is attention. Mm. You know, kind of my attention, and kind of been learning that probably the the most precious thing I, one of the most precious things I can give away, is my attention and uh I think we um what what we what I give or what we give our attention to uh is what we become you know mm. for, for the better or or the worse and uh I've been just reminded that we we uh we have a very attentive God, yes, and I was kind of challenged that maybe my attention hasn't been focused where it should be uh we, we live in a, a distracting world and one of the the verses that has helped me is just in our, in our study of Revelation and and what you, the, the verse you shared earlier in your sermon is uh, Revelation thirty twenty or three twenty, uh, just that boy God is knocking at the door yes. and and uh, wanting to come in and sup with us and yes. I grew up I've been a Christian a long time and I grew up as a Christian and I've always I always thought that was more of an evangelistic verse. Mm-hmm that was more about salvation, you know, and here he is, God is wanting to, wanting to sup with us, and uh, so I think doing this process has just been helpful to just slow down, so I think the big thing was I've I've slowed down, and I think the concepts of rule of faith and rule of life has been a a helpful one for me. Um, I've spent a lot of time rule of faith, you know, what do I believe, and what and that's important, it's so, imp- so important, but I haven't really been that uh, uh, attentive about the rule of life and how do I build in rhythms of my daily life to uh to commune with God versus just learn more about God. So, mm.
1: a couple things, and it's been pretty transformative, it seems like,
0: yeah, and again. Just a subtle but profound change in perspective and awareness. Um, I haven't implemented a, a ton yet. I mean, we've, we've done a, a little bit, but thank goodness we're on a marathon, not, not a sprint.
1: <laughs> right. Well said. So, yeah. Well, what, what then does this practice of what we could call spiritual formation, what's that look like for you folks personally now? You want to comment more, Sharon?
2: Um, yeah, so I just, when you asked, I was thinking about what formed me, and definitely, definitely Sunday service here, and, and rubbing shoulders with all of you. I can't tell you how grateful I am to be in a church where people really are seeking after God. Um, that has changed me. Yes, um, yeah, so I grew up a Christian, in a Christian home, too, and, you know, reading your Bible and praying were, were the things that were taught. Um, I think what, in thinking about it, what has helped me move past just knowing about God and knowing God was was putting those two on top of each other. Because I think for so much of my life, it was reading, read my Bible, check, and then pray on a good day. But but now praying while I read the Bible, mm. so just reading, and it it could be like, wow, God, that's amazing that you're like that. Or, oh, yeah, that's me. Thank you that you forgave me for that. Or I I have no idea what this passage means, God. Can you, can you help me with that? Or, or God, these people are jerks. How do you put up with them? And then he'll make it come around like, oh yeah, I guess I'm like that too. Um, so just just like an ongoing conversation as I'm reading has has really changed my. My relationship with him a lot it, it doesn't feel like i'm just okay god i'll see you again tomorrow morning, um, but carrying him walking with him throughout the day um I think another thing that has really formed me is one one day it just dawned on me like oh no, it didn't dawn the spirit was speaking to me i'm sure <laughs> of just that singing is so great here on Sunday mm. morning, but, but he wants us to worship him. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not just one one day a week. And so just being more intentional to, to sing throughout the week, that, you know, singing gets truth in our hearts, I think, in ways mm. that just reading can't. And that has really formed me a lot. And I have found, you know, that verse in Zephaniah that God sings over you. Mm that he'll bring little snippets of a song that my soul needs at it. just the right time sometimes where it truly does feel like he's singing over. So nice. that has helped form too. And then, I you know, I'm going on long. But the last thing that has really helped me too is something where, like Steve said, working on rest and silence and solitude. And we, we tend to run pretty fast as a couple um, So trying to be more intentional about that, and as I think over my life, like the couple times, there's a couple times when the Lord, my good shepherd, just truly made me lie down in green pastures, when I I got laid up with a concussion one time, and then having cancer, and those were just huge times of growth for me, because I did slow down, and could hear better, and read slower, and just spend time with him, so... Anyway, I'm excited with this practicing the way, because I think for my Christian life has just been read your Bible, pray, go to church, but just incorporating other practices like rest and silence and solitude, Those those are important too, so I'm excited to grow in that.
1: Excellent. I'm hearing slow down, I'm hearing giving your attention all the more to God, and I'm hearing relationship. Is that right? Yep. Thank you, friends, for sharing with us very much. Really appreciate your example and your help. Thank you, Steve and Sharon. So, as elders, we've been putting up the sails, trying to see how the Holy Spirit wants to propel us forward. We feel like He's given us a, a clarified vision of, of spiritual renewal of disciples because of the gospel, because of the good news, formed and enjoying God himself. A vision of being a a place where we don't just focus on the rescue, as vital as the rescue is, but we also ask, how does God want to form us after the rescue? Imagine a world filled with churches like that. Just do a little thought experiment as we close. Imagine a world filled with churches about our size. A hundred people, more or less. Not outwardly impressive, as much as I love you and I think you're wonderful, amazing people. But a hundred people-ish, not amazing, uh, outwardly impressive in what we do, et cetera. But a church filled with people deepening in their walk with Christ. A church filled with people deepening in their enjoyment of relationship with God. A church filled with people deepening in communion with God in Christ. Wouldn't that be a powerful thing, friends? What if our city, our country, our world was filled with churches like that? May may we be such a place, right? Because we, we are part of a race that forfeited this privilege. But Christ has come. Christ has come. He lived a perfect life in your place, obeying as you cannot. He died in your place. He endured the just judgment you and I have earned for our sin. He rose from the grave. And he has restored this privilege for us of drawing near to God, of enjoying God, of not just knowing about him, as vital as that is, but knowing and enjoying God himself. Let's pray and ask God to do that in my heart, and maybe your heart too. I don't know if he's, as it were, knocking in some way. If there's a habit, a practice to adjust, or simply a reminder to you of this great privilege purchased by Jesus. You know, whatever that is for you right now, just respond to the Lord. Respond to what the Spirit's been speaking to you about. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for Opening our eyes to this privilege. We, we want to know a lot about you. You are the infinite one. There's a lot to learn. <laughs> and yet, you invite us into a privilege, not just knowing about you, but knowing and enjoying you personally through the finished work of Jesus Christ by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Let us Enjoy you all the more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.